Welcome to Breaking the Couch, a weekly conversation demystifying what happens in and behind the therapy scene to support your healing journey. We're your hosts. I'm Dr. Doughton, a licensed clinical professional counselor, a certified school psychologist, and a trauma specialist with Playfully Psyched. And I'm Dr. Joe Harchi with Soft Heart Psychology, a licensed clinical psychologist. We're here aiming to provide you with mental health tools to address the cycle of generational trauma across the age span from infancy and childhood to adulthood. For more information, visit our Instagram page at Breaking the Couch or our website, breakingthecouch.com. While we hope you love listening to and learning from our podcast, it's not a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. So recently on TikTok, I posted a video that I thought would do really well, but it didn't, and that's okay. But really, I was trying to get at what are some things that are happening in people's lives as adults that may be related to traumatic experiences or trauma responses that from childhood or even just earlier in adulthood too. And so I thought that that could be really helpful for us to turn into a conversation. And um, maybe we can also add in how we help patients through like identifying those things or revealing those things. That sounds like a good way to start our our episode today. Yeah, that sounds great. I think that it's come up naturally in conversation with us. Like, I'll just be asking you, for example, hey, you know, how come F-boys are better at, you know, I'm going to say F-boys and hopefully people know who I'm talking about, but how come that type of um, way of showing up in the world is um, sometimes those people are better Mm -hmm. at detecting like trauma and vulnerability in their partners mm-hmm. than a trauma therapist. And you were, and correct me if I'm wording this off, but like you were like, well, let's look at the trauma for the F boy even, right? Because of that toxic masculinity or the way that they were raised uh, as a as a boy and then a man, um, those in, those aspects in itself are, are traumas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you always bring that up. Um, not always, but you've brought that up because, <laughs> right, it's um, I have compassion or empathy for people in their younger selves mm-hmm. in, as we can try to understand what they've been through and how their personalities and their their traits have developed. Because um, I think it's Bessel van der Kolk, the author of The Body Who Keeps the Score, who has that quote that's super famous all over the internet from in that book um, that says something like trauma doesn't come back as a memory. It comes back as a reaction. Hmm. And so when people were like, oh, I don't remember these things happen to, happening or happen so little or children are going to forget. Okay, fine. But your body and your your psyche, your psychological responses are going to play that out, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to still experience the effects of the trauma through your behaviors or reactions. And so sometimes whether it's um, a trait or a response that we can use for good in our lives, or if it's a trait that's actually toxic, Right. I've been exploring this because really thinking about it, I don't like the term toxic people um, because it sounds so stagnant and um, mm-hmm. and, and, and like that um, point. immovable. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, right. right. Like, mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I've really been reflecting on this lately. If there are relationships that existed in my past, like friendships, where mm-hmm. if I look on it, I was the toxic one. I was the oh, really, you and me both, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I was the really needy, clingy, attached like friend. Like I, I had this, uh, and I remember, and I was like, oh wow, that's that was probably really hurtful that to that person, and I couldn't do it differently at the time. Um, but just where I. Uh, I didn't want my like best friend to have other best friends or like other important friendships because it just felt like such an attack on, am I like on me and on our relationship? And then, then I'm not important in your life and I'm not centered. And like, okay, hearing that it's like, oh my gosh, that's so unhealthy. That's so toxic. What is going on? But that was little hurt, sad, vulnerable me trying to figure out how to like mm-hmm. create a safe system right? Um, Mm -hmm. Given my trauma history, given my adverse childhood experiences. So, but I'm not that way now. (laughs) I'm very secure and have all the friends you want and all those things. So it's like to say someone is a toxic person just feels Mm. like, and so I also wanted to highlight, well, if when you're over here calling someone a toxic person, let's look at Mm -hmm. have you had these toxic traits? Like, do you have any or have you ever had any or and let's unpack like instead of just like blaming and pointing fingers and like name calling, which is what that sounds like to me. Let's look at the root. Right. And let's expose people like, okay, let's look at what the behavior is or your response is, and, you know, maybe where that came from. Right. I really appreciate that transparency and I'm I'm willing to do that with you today. I'm willing to look at what comes up for me when I hear the term F-boy, right? So mm-hmm. what am I projecting or what um, have I done that's been either like an F-boy or like somebody who more so like, I guess, kind of for me, um, if we're kind of breaking the couch and getting behind the scenes right now, uh, I guess would be yeah like in the past sometimes linking up with folks either in friendship or relationship where i wanted to um i don't know how to put this but i guess help them air quotes right Mm -hmm. and in that means that i'm not accepting who they are and where they're at and so i think there is a common thread there if we look a little deeper in noticing if somebody wants help or if somebody is struggling right Mm -hmm. so I too must have noticed, oh, you're struggling. So that kind of is the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's like a, if I'm making sense, but I hope that I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think so. I think so. Um, so one of the things that I think about is, you know, the ability to trust yourself, right? So like insecurity, insecurity will also often um, be partially rooted in like, I don't make good decisions, or maybe I'm not making good decisions or like that second guessing mm-hmm. of did I do this right? And so if that's what you're, you know, you're experiencing in adulthood, then I would think about a child that maybe wasn't believed Mm. about something um, that was easily dismissed. 
And so, and, and then internalized that and in, well, I don't make good decisions or I don't know what I'm talking about because so often, you know, children who are survivors of trauma, when they are dismissed, then start to believe that, well, maybe I made that up or when they're being gaslit, right? right. Or maybe, maybe that really wasn't traumatic or maybe that was normal or maybe that was okay. Right. And then they have a later belief that, okay, well, if that was okay and I didn't think it was okay, then I really don't know. You know, I don't know how to make good choices. I don't know anything. I can't trust my own judgment. Right. So that kind of what people might look at is, you know, personally toxic even for themselves, but like looking at where that came from. Right. Right. That's not one that uh, we hear about in our diagnostic statistical manual, the way that we diagnose people or one that we um, hear about very often in general in society. Um, I, I really appreciate hearing that. Another one that we can throw out there is um, fantasizing, right? So we know that the mind will disassociate and go somewhere else. Um, mm -hmm. For some folks, that's like intrusive thoughts. For some folks, that's um, imagination. Um, for some people, that's just obsessing on something, right? Like mm -hmm. kind of sticky things. Mm -hmm. um, and then for some people, it's fantasizing. And like you had said a couple um, weeks ago on our podcast, we don't want to break down fences if we don't know where they're coming from. We don't want to break down fences at all, right? So I'm kind of paraphrasing what you had said. Um, mm -hmm. And I just think it's really important that we don't attack that fantasy because it could be everyday fantasies that help keep the child okay in school when they were having a situation at home or okay at school when or okay at home when they're having a situation at school or both, right? We don't mm -hmm. know what it was for, but they could be daydreaming and fantasizing about um, watermelons and unicorns and who knows what, or they could be fantasizing about something that's really like content related, like about uh, an absent parent, that that parent was mm -hmm. the perfect parent and then that parent is um, the answer to all their questions and the answer to all their problems. Mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so you know whatever the service of that fantasy is or was um i i think that that could be a sign of of trauma as well oh absolutely and that made me think about so when i was a preschool teacher and school director um there was a term that some teachers used to describe children that fantasize or daydreamed a lot and they would call them space cadets mm. and because like you know it kind of spacey or just when you're fantasizing, you're not paying attention, able mm -hmm. to attend to the reality or the space that you're in. And so it just made me think about all the little um, space cadets, all the little children who could have used a trauma-informed approach potentially, right? Um, if people had understood trauma in the same way at that time, and if it had kind of rooted itself into early childhood um, curricula and understanding. So absolutely, because those children, I like what you're saying, like that's a protective factor. And those children grow up with that protective factor, right? But then they also will go into spaces where it's 
it's still protective, but it may be also harming their relationships because then their partner or their best friend or like, you never pay attention to me. You never listen to me, right? You're never there for me when I need you or you're here, but you're not here. They're not attending, right? And lo and behold, they're being triggered by something and they've learned to go into their fantasy. Right? And they, and again, these things happen. So there, there, it's not a cognitive shift. Like I'm going to fantasize now, right? It, it just happens because it's a, you know, behavior that you've learned that to cope, a mechanism that you've used to cope. So I love that. Um, it also makes me think about like, so an adult who is maybe uh, like, who's often unsettled or feels like they don't have a lot of control mm-hmm. over situations. Mm-hmm. Right? And so maybe that leads them to more compulsive behaviors or obsessive like comp- behaviors, OCD, uh, or heightened anxieties. You know, thinking about, I would want to know what type of childhood stability or instability they may have had. Because, and I think that's so important because a lot of times people, again, that whole idea that children are resilient and they, they'll be fine. And so then adults don't tell children or don't inform them of major changes that are going to happen. They don't give mm-hmm. them any type of prep time. Um, they'll surprise them with, oh, we're moving and you get a new bedroom. Like, it's going to be so exciting to have a new bedroom. And yes, a child could be really excited to like see new toys in their bedroom that doesn't mean they're going to sleep soundly that that first few nights in this brand new mm-hmm. space, right? Just because they had new toys, like it's a new scary place. And so that's like a positive side of instability where you're just not telling people about it. But then I think about children who experience like a transient um, life where they've had to like move from place to place to place or didn't have, or they were unhoused at times. Mm. Um any like level of that or parents that, you know, whether for work for good reasons or not good reasons were in and out of their lives and they weren't ever sure when parent will show up. And then of course we have like abuse and um, intimate partner violence situations where children didn't know when safe parent was going to show up versus when harmful parent was going to show up and that was within the same person right and so we can see how that plays out in adulthood when we're kind of can't feel settled we don't feel we don't feel settled because then you're like well I've had this long history or a significant history even if that's long but like an intense history of not knowing what to expect or and then bad things happen where you don't know what to expect so that kind of internalized belief that's right. I'm relating way too much to what you're saying right now, Dr. Dalton, about this control, obsessive, compulsive one. So mm-hmm. um, I'm over here taking notes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was a good one. I, I have to say I relate and that was a good one. Yeah. So mm-hmm. another one I'm thinking of is uh, testing boundaries, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know how to uh, say this enough. I feel like um, when I've worked with children, for example, there might be a thing of, you know, are you going to abandon me? Are you going to leave me too? Um, are you going to emotionally abandon me? Right. And so um, people would use the word like testing boundaries. And I didn't like that, but I do feel like it, it kind of paints a, a clear picture. 
right? Um, but more so if we get down to the bottom of it, I think it's seeing, will you abandon me? So I wish mm-hmm. we could replace it that way. And then sometimes we'll even see that in therapy, right? Like, um, let me do this or let me ask for this or let me see when you will leave me. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that that can be, a, if somebody finds themselves seeing what they could do to, until this person leaves them, somebody's like, oh, why did I say or do that? Why did I put that out there to see if they will kind of go away like everybody mm-hmm. else? Um, if somebody finds themselves doing that, they might notice that that if they look underneath that that's some trauma there too. Mm-hmm. 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 I love that. You're right. This like um, testing the limits of rejection or abandonment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because, and I always say when we test things or the way I frame anxiety for people and anxiety is, is often, not always often related to trauma experiences, but the way I frame it is when you're, when they say like, oh, I'm, I'm worried that this will happen or like, I'm, I'm questioning if this will happen. And I will, I will turn that around and say, well, let's look at the thing here is that you, part of your mind and body believes that that worst case scenario that you're hypothesizing has already happened. Mm-hmm. Or it believes that that is definitely solidified what the outcome is going to be. And therefore your body is responding to that, that preparation of that horrible outcome. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that might go, I'm not conceptualized this before now, but I think if I think about it right, for abandonment, it's partially the same thing. Like I, Believe that you will leave me. I believe that you will abandon me, right? So I got to test these these things out. And the reason why I think that way, like the reason why I'm thinking that there's a partial belief to that is because if a person has unchecked abandonment Mm -hmm. concerns, they don't ever stop testing. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a good point. If you believe that it was possible that for the person to stay, you wouldn't keep testing it, right? But like there's a repetitive Mm -hmm. pushing of the boundary or testing that limit because there's an internal belief that eventually there's you're gonna leave. There's something I can do, or there's something that's gonna happen that's gonna make you abandon me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I love that conclusion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's love it and and feel tender about it right you know Mm -hmm. like yeah that's exactly it and it sucks yeah yeah i I guess that's kind of like all these like and then there's the the cool part of like noticing right because that's where we can kind of break that cycle of um indecisiveness or or fantasy or control Mm -hmm. where we can release from some of those things that might not show up for us as as they once did Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think, you know, parts of this and understanding what are the, some of the toxic traits of the, the potentially harmful responses that you have that were once that we can understand where they came from and maybe they were once protective and maybe they can mm-hmm. still be protective in certain ways. But the first thing you have to do is unpack them. Um, 
it makes me think about, and I think you're going to like this one, but for some reason what came up for me is um, children who experience food insecurity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of different ways, like for all of these, there's different ways that it can branch out. But the one that I liked to think about, or not like, but one that comes up for me mm-hmm. is, Okay, so you experience food insecurity. So then maybe as an adult, right, you are either arguing with children about like finishing all their food, about starving children in other countries or other places, and that's why you got to finish your food. Um, really rigid about whatever that, what your definition of healthy eating, and then that can pull into like body stuff as well but just like the idea that as a child you may have experienced times where you you didn't know you're gonna have your next meal or you um you know were food insecure in some way and how that what that looks like in adulthood and so and we can frame it in adulthood and these like but i'm trying to be a good fill in the blank a good teacher to help you know help the parents nourish their kids i'm trying to be a good parent to make sure my child is nourished well um, but the approach can be really harmful, right? And and in that, ah, tying it all together, and that can be transmitting trauma to another generation, right? Because absolutely, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard, that- hard not to, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. When you, it's hard not to when you don't know what's happening, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then and maybe aren't getting support or help to unpack that or figure that out for yourself. Yeah. Right, right. So the difficulty with food stuff um, comes up, like you said, in a bunch of different ways, um, thinking about, you know, uh, diet mentality and like being super restrictive or super, you know, um, just having all these sorts of difficulties around it. And um I liked what you brought up, like different sorts of shaming around it, right? Like you better eat all this, you better all those kind of things, finish the plate. Um, and then it's so complex with food. Yeah, I do like that one. Yeah, that was a good, good point. Yeah, if you find yourself struggling with your food or mm-hmm. diet mentality or your body image, there may have been some trauma there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would argue that it's very possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll reveal one. Um, I don't think my dad listens to this, so it's okay. Um, <laughs> my dad's a wonderful man, of course. We gotta like say all that stuff. Um, but one of the things that just came up when we we're just talking right now is so I was a um I have a what I like to call a very delicate and sensitive palate. Mm-hmm. I don't like the term picky eater. Very, you know, sophisticated. I like that palette mm-hmm. and um but I wasn't I didn't like throw tantrums about it or I wasn't I was able to be like oh we don't have food that I like that's fine I won't eat anything or that's fine I'll eat bread I love bread right and <laughs> I just remember one time my dad getting so mad that mm-hmm. I was eating bread because his mm-hmm. you know his parents didn't you know didn't grow up with money and um but he was like, I worked so hard to make mm-hmm. sure that the refrigerator is always full, that there's food in the refrigerator and like you're eating bread. Like that's what it like, why are you eating bread? Don't be eating bread. And I was just like, 
bread is good. Like, I don't like, what is this? What are you trying to put on me here? Like this bread tastes yummy. Like I just want bread. And I was, I don't know how old I was. I was, I was young. I don't think I was old enough to like go cook something for myself or, um, and I don't know what was in the refrigerator, but I think I could have like heated something up maybe. Um, but bread was accessible. Right. And so mm -hmm. just kind of thinking about now my dad is little boy. Like, I don't know some of the things he may have experienced in his childhood around food, but that was a big thing for me. I clearly had triggered something in him when he saw me just like eating plain, like white bread. I was just literally took a slice of bread out of the loaf and was like chomping down on it. Um, and he was like, it, it made him feel like less of a parent, like, like he was doing a bad mm -hmm. job. He's like, I work so hard to make sure that you always have food. And here you are eating like bread, which in his mind is like not nutritious, not like health, like mm -hmm. all those things. And so, yeah, it, it can show up in so many different ways in adulthood. Yeah, thank you for that story. That's right. Um, it, it really can. I can think of all the, you know, um, all the stories I'm thinking of personally, I'm thinking about when I worked on the feeding, uh, when I did a feeding rotation, um, you know, where all of a sudden folks will wonder why their baby isn't able to eat, um, but they're able, to, they're finding that food is hidden in their um, high chair, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then you ask, like, have they ever had food insecurity? Ha has food ever been a part of their trauma history and then you find it yes and so just kind of that uncovering um mm -hmm. those aha moments make a lot of sense mm -hmm. absolutely for a lot of us who have uh, me included those food difficulties today not because of food insecurity per se but there's also you know different types of shame around bodies and uh food choices and those kind of things so mm -hmm. um yeah I, I i think that if there's difficulty with food or the way that you see yourself or something around like diet mentality, mm -hmm. definitely something to look into as far as trauma goes. Um, and I'm trying to think there's so many others, but we're uh, getting close to time. So I'm trying to think yeah. of, um, yeah, if you want more on this, I can think of a million others. My, my last one that I wanted to spit out was just about lashing out and, mm -hmm. um, if you've ever felt like all of a sudden, again, me included, right? If you've ever felt like all of a sudden you said something you didn't mean to say and it came out like so um, aggressive, I'm just going to be honest, yeah, then there might be something there. There might be trauma. It's not to say, oh, I can excuse myself for all my um, wrongdoings in the past, but in noticing um, those aggressive outbursts, like snapping at somebody or, you know, telling somebody something that I didn't mean to say, right? And noticing that over the mm -hmm. years through trauma recovery, I have been able to stop that. You won't see me, you know, um, speaking like that. So um, I think that if we're able to uncover the, the, and you put that in your TikTok, so I'm borrowing from you, but <laughs> if you are able to notice the like lashing out, mm -hmm. um, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. You, if you can spot it, then you can address it through mm -hmm. the trauma recovery work. So there's a lot more, I'm sure we could go on and on, but those are just some of the, I can actually wrap up with some of them. If you find yourself being an F boy, 
indecisive, fantasizing, controlling, um, sort of limiting or testing boundaries. Um, I'm testing boundaries or limits. That's what I mean. Um, or difficulty with food. Or if you find yourself um, lashing out, mm -hmm. then what might be underneath that is trauma. Yep. I love that you were able to like, you took some notes as we were talking and mm -hmm. kind of pull out those bullet points. Absolutely. I think it's also great that you said this isn't about excusing yourself and all the things and like creating excuses. All of the work that you do on yourself is about how to move forward in a way that feels authentic and healthy to you. And so I want the listeners out there to know that, right? We aren't saying that people are given a pass for their behaviors because they've experienced trauma. What we are helping you do is unpack and figure out what's going on for yourself so that you can show up as the best person, best version of yourself that you can. So that is super important. And I do want to take away um, shame. Shame I don't, is, is very, shame is that I am bad. I, I, mm -hmm. the, I am the core that you are always toxic, that you are this one thing. And that's very rarely helpful. I don't see how that's helpful um, because then it suggests that you can't grow and change and heal. And I believe in growth, changing and, and healing. So very helpful. All right. Well, as we wrap up today, we just want to remind you all that we are on these different social media platforms. You can please reach out to us on our website, breakingthecouch.com, leave a message, tell us topics you want to hear about, ask questions. You can subscribe at most of the places where you listen to podcasts. And if you have Spotify, there's we ask a question and we post a poll each week that you can respond to. And then we can use that to inform topics and answer questions from there. You can uh, tag us on Instagram. So at Breaking the Couch on Instagram, tag us in your stories, leave comments on our post, ask us what you want um, us to talk about in future episodes, send us direct messages through those platforms. We are open to having this conversation and engaging with you and finding out more ways that we can help you. And also anytime we mention a book, they, we will put the book link in the bottom of our, in our, in our bookshop. We have a bookshop that does help us keep this podcast running if people make purchase purchases from there because we get a little tiny kickback on any purchases made through that bookshop but then also it helps local bookstores not go out of business and i like that so that big business doesn't always have to win so you know that's what we have for you all today if you are looking for a therapist for yourself or your child you can visit our websites playfullypsych.com or softheartpsychology.com we appreciate you joining us this week and can't wait till there's another opportunity to jump on the couch with you next week.